This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. I love being a pastor of this church, actually. Um, uh, Alyssa mentioned the word family, you know, and um, been here 15 years now. We, well, we started 15 years ago, Life Church, and I can't tell you the, the deep-seated relationships that I have made with people along those years, and um, I mean, it's more than just I'm pastor and you, are, you attend. What we have, what I have experienced here is this family dynamic, and um, I am so thankful for you. I, t- I show off, I talk about you guys, I say how amazing Life Church is. There's no better church in the whole, we, we have a district, the Iowa Ministry Network, Network is, our, is our district here, and there's like 140 churches, and I go, and I, I'm one of the presbyters, and I sit around that presbytery, and I say, yeah, my church is better than your church. <laughs> I don't actually say it that way, but, but I, do sh- I do boast a lot about the church, and they all kind of listen, like, oh, okay, you know, show off. Uh, maybe that's what they're saying, I don't know, but... Uh, I love being here, and I, I am so thankful for you. You are amazing. And I'm thankful for what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in our midst right now. I mean, you might be unfamiliar with services like this where there is a kind of a, a subjective dynamic of a moving of the Spirit, this kind, of, this kind of idea where there is something where somebody's feeling tugged emotionally and maybe they cry. You see people with their hands lifted up and, and just singing to the top of their lungs or, or, they're, or they're shaking or they're all kinds of things. And there's this, this concept, this idea of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. This is, we might be unfamiliar with that in our modern day context, but this is not something that the scriptures are unfamiliar with. And it's certainly not something that God doesn't want to do in our midst. And the reason why is because, here, let me explain it. This is not my sermon, but let me explain it. The reason why is because there are things in our life that as hard as we try, as hard as we work, as hard as we, as smart as we can possibly, possibly be, and do everything we want to possibly do to fix our situation, to change a person's heart, to, to do whatever, there are things that just are out of our reach, out of our capacity. And that's where we really need the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit, where we need the Holy Spirit to begin to move. And in a moment, and I've experienced this, I've been, I've been born again since 1982, so however long that is, 38 years. And I've been filled with the Holy Spirit since then as well. And for those 38 years, let me tell you something. Uh, I've experienced so many times along the journey where in an instant, in a service, the Holy Spirit steps in, does something in my heart, and from that day on, it's a completely new life. A completely different set of circumstances. And that's what's happening right now. That right now, the Holy Spirit is doing heart surgery on some of you convincing you that you're not alone, that he's always been walking with you. For some of you, he's convincing you not to give up on that relationship. For others of you, he's just convincing you that he's your provider and that you can trust him. Amen? Amen. All right. I, okay, that's sermon number one. You ready for sermon number two? Ah, uh, okay. Well, 
we're in this series called Mixed Emotions, and in Matthew, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the message paraphrases Jesus speaking. The message paraphrases it this way: Are you tired? Are you tired? Are you worn out? So Jesus is asking us. He's asking you right now: Are you tired? Are you worn out? I don't think, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where this question is any more rhetorical than it is right now. Because our answer is absolutely yes. I mean, if just my normal life without COVID, without racial tensions, without what something is happening here. Oh, the elections. Without the election, right? Just my normal life without those things. Man, I'm worn out. And then you just throw these things in the mix, and it's just, it's just heavy, and it's weighty, and we're weary, and we're tired. I know that I was sitting with Wayne the other day, and I was just Pastor Wayne, our executive pastor, and we were sitting in a meeting, and I was talking. I just, through tears, said, Wayne, I'm just weary. I'm just weary. I'm worn out. I'm worn out navigating COVID. How do we make any decision for life church and have to, every time we make a decision for Life Church, we have to filter it through the filter of COVID 19. And how are some people going to respond and how are other people going to respond? And we know that they're going to respond in two different ways. And then throw in the emails that I get and the phone calls that I get about Christians posting on Facebook how they feel about, the po- about politics and all. I mean, it just, it is just chaos, and I just was sharing with him, man, I'm just weary. I'm just weary. And so today, today, Jesus is asking us a question. He's asking you and me. He's asking me a question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? I think when you ask somebody these days, how are you doing? After you get passed through some of the non-answer answers like, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good, you know, that stuff that we normally do as we're passing. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Not really, but I am. I'm just going to say that to you, right? But after you get past those those answers of I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm good, whatever, after you get past that, most people will respond this way. I'm just tired. Why don't you stop for a second and just begin to explore the question, how are you doing? They'll say, I'm tired, or they'll say a variation of it like I'm busy. Like busy just means I'm about to be tired, <laughs> right? And we have all kinds of other ways of expressing that, like I'm slammed, I'm buried, I'm catching up, I'm tied up. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we talk about this. And so in this series, what we've been talking about is we've been talking about our emotions and how do we manage our emotions, how do we navigate our emotions in a biblically mature way so that we become all that God wants us to become. But as I'm Talking about this, you might say, well, wait a minute, Rich, tired, that's not an emotion. Like, that's a physical condition, but that's not an emotion. And, and you know, it's right, it's, it's weird, it's not really emotion, but what I do know about being tired, what I know about being exhausted, is that it makes us vulnerable. It makes us vulnerable to all of these other emotions that we just really don't want to have in our life. So, there's all kinds of studies that demonstrate this, that that the more tired you are, the more, more likely you're, you are to experience things like depression, anxiety, irritability. 
And so in many ways, tiredness is a gateway to some emotions that we experience that we really don't want to be there. We don't want to experience those emotions. So we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 23 today, probably one of the most famous psalms, the Psalm of David. You've, you've probably heard of this psalm. I mean, it, maybe you don't even read your Bible, but you know about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And so we're going to focus in on the first couple of verses because these first couple of verses unlock the rest of the psalm. And so let me read Psalm 23, starting with verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. Man, let's take a deep breath. Okay, let's hold on a second. Let's do this again. Everybody, let's breathe deeply. Because you can't read Psalm 23 that way. Let's just... Okay, let's do that again. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, relax. Now let's read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That's more like it. That's a better reading of Psalm 23. I want to talk to you a little bit today about rest. Here David says, The Lord is my shepherd. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, what does that mean? What does that say about David? Who is David? You say it out loud. Huh? No. If if David says, the Lord is my shepherd, then what is he? He's sheep, right? Not a very impressive animal, by the way, sheep. Like sheep are just, they're not flattering at all. They're, They're just, they're sheep, right? They're just not that. I, I used to go, we used to ride our bike, dirt bikes at the farm out near Williamsburg, and, and uh, uh, this uh, guy, uh, what was his name? I went blank. You know, Crippen, Mike Crippen. Mike Crippen used to have fainting sheep. Like, sheep are already, or fainting goats, I think. I'm not sure, fainting goats. Like, sheep are already kind of not that impressive, but then, like, it's, like, cruel on God's part to add that their defense mechanism is that if they get spooked in any way, they just freeze. And they, it's like, that's not a very good defense mechanism. Like, so, so like sheep, they're just not that impressive. And so what it tells us really is that what David in many ways is trying to tell us here is that a sheep is completely, completely, completely dependent upon the shepherd. I don't know if that really characterizes our lives. If we saw ourselves as sheep and God is our shepherd. A sheep is completely dependent upon the shepherd. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle in finding this rhythm of rest in our life, of overcoming tiredness in our life, one of the reasons I think we struggle is because we, we confuse this relationship. Like we think that we're the shepherd. I mean, that, we, we don't believe that. Like, you know, if I asked you, hey, do you believe that you're the shepherd or do you believe you're the sheep? In the context of Psalm 23, no, of course I'm not the shepherd, I'm the sheep. But the way I live my life out, the way I operate my life day in and day out is that I'm in control. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one that has to do this on my own. I have to take care of my needs. I have to protect my family. I have to protect, I have to protect my resources. I have to protect my life. I have to do everything on my own. That's how we live. So I think we confuse this relationship. We think that we are the shepherd. And when I start to live this way, 
It puts a lot of pressure on me, and that's why I cannot, I can't rest. It makes it very difficult to rest. So David starts off, and he says, I'm not the shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'm just sheep. By saying you're sheep, you're humbling yourself. You're declaring that you are completely dependent upon the shepherd. You're saying, I can't take care of myself by myself. I need God's help. There's a humility in doing that. And that's really what I want to challenge you today on, is I want you to to maybe humble yourself, me as well, humble myself to say, God, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. And when we do that, when we get the relationship right, when we say, I can't do this by myself, I need God's help, here's what it says, I lack nothing. If I could just make him the shepherd of my life, I will lack nothing. I can rest. Now, we've been using cars as the imagery for, for the emotions. The reason why we're using cars is because we say that our emotions are really sort of like a vehicle that we get into, and that vehicle is going to take us one way or another, Right, So this emotion that I'm experiencing, whether it's anger, I remember I talked about the, the, my van of shame, right? So when I'm experiencing shame, shame can either take me away from God and lead me towards isolation and loneliness, or it can take me to God. It's like a vehicle, right? And so we've been using this analogy of vehicles, and as we, as we get in this vehicle and we allow God allow the Holy Spirit to take us in the direction of where God wants us to go, we, be, we, we grow up as a Christian. We become more spiritually mature. So, so when I was in California, I was working at this uh, junior college or community college called Harbor College in Wilmington, California. And so I, I was working in this department called the Job Placement and Training Services Center. I was one of the directors there and ESL instructor and that kind of stuff. And so um, uh, one of the guys, there was a guy that worked with me. He was a young guy. His name was Alfred. Actually, in Spanish, Alfredo was his name. Alfredo, but we call him Alfred. And um, and Alfred was a a student, but he was also working with me. And so Alfred was brilliant on the computer. He was just amazing. He, he could do stuff with computer back, this is, you know, this is in the early 2000s when, you know, most of us didn't even own a computer, right? And this guy was just, he was he was doing it. He had so many skills. But the thing about Alfred is that he knew nothing about cars. Nothing. And so one day he walks into our, into our offices and he's holding this key and he's like big smile on his face. He says, look what I got. I just got my first car. It was a 2002 Ford Escort. It wasn't that one. I just, I had to find one. I didn't, never took a picture of his car. I, actually, I didn't even own a smartphone back then, so I couldn't have taken a picture. But that was, that was like this car, okay, a Ford Escort. And he was so proud. We applauded him. He was a youngster in our, in our department, and so we were very happy for him. He got himself a brand new car. It's exciting, you know, so he's doing his thing, right? He's a student. He's working. About a year and a half later, he gives us a call. I'm, I'm his supervisor, so he calls me and says, hey, uh, Rich, um, I can't come to work today. I'm like, oh, what happened? He says, my car's not working. I'm like, what? Your car's not working. It's like, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is a brand new car. What do you mean it's not working? It's only a year and a half old. It's not working. It's shot. It won't start. Nothing. It doesn't work. And so I'm trying to talk him over the phone, like, oh, did you try this? You try that? You put, is the battery dead? You know, he's like, it just doesn't work. The battery's fine, but it just doesn't work. It's shot. <laughs> and so what I find out later, I discover, is that Alfredo bought this car in 2002 and drove it 30,000 miles and never changed the oil. 
You heard me right, 30,000 miles and never changed the oil. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why he did that. I mean, it, you know, the manufacturer the, of, of, of this vehicle, it's a Ford. Ford says you should change oil every 3,000 miles. Stopped. It might take you 40 minutes or 30 minutes. It's going to cost you 40 or $50. That's what you need to do on a regular basis every three months or, you know, every 3,000 miles. Just make, make sure you change oil. That's the manufacturer's, manufacturer's specifications. But he drove it 30 thousand miles and he never changed the oil and I'm not exactly sure why maybe maybe he was just so busy between work and school he just didn't never found time to do it maybe he thought that little blinking yellow light was like just a suggestion like you should change the oil oh but if you don't have time well just do it later maybe that's what he thought you know, maybe he had this thought that I'm going to change the oil, but, but I just can't today. I don't have time today, and so I'll do it tomorrow. And that tomorrow became, and I'll do it tomorrow. And then I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, and I'll do it tomorrow. And 30,000 miles later, the engine is shot. So if you've ever wondered how far you can drive without changing the oil, <laughs> Probably 30,000 miles. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <clears throat> the thing is that by not stopping and changing oil, it costs him thousands of dollars to fix it. Thousands. Like, he, a brand new engine, for, in his particular case, a brand new, new engine, if he bought it from the factory, from Ford, would, the engine would have cost more what the, than what the car was actually valued. He ended up buying a used engine, but all of this could have been prevented. All of this could have, could have just not happened if he had just every 3,000 miles or every three months just stopped, took 15 minutes, 20 minutes out, and changed the oil, spent maybe $40, $50. That's it. That's all he had to do. And he would have saved himself all kinds of expense. And there's a sense in which we think that we can violate the manufacturer's instructions for our lives as well. We think that we can do exactly what he did with a car with our lives and go on and on and on and on and on, and we will get away with it. But we won't. We won't. And so what you find in the scriptures is that God prescribes this kind of rhythm for life. That he's our manufacturer, and he knows how, to take, how we need to take care of our bodies. He knows how we need to take care of our souls. He knows how we need to take care of our relationships. And part of that is this rhythm of rest. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about rest. What does it mean to rest? God wants to replenish us. God wants to restore us, and we need rest for them. You see this from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, as you read the creation story in Genesis 1, you'll see that there's this, uh, this rhythm in the, in the creation story. It's like a beat that's happening. It's like this refrain that keeps getting re- repeated again and again and again and again. It's God establishing sort of this rhythm of, of rest. It says the two lines that you see repeated over and over again is God saw that it was good and then there was evening and there was morning. And so basically day three, God does all the work, does of creation. He stops. He pauses. Okay. He doesn't just keep working. He doesn't just say, hey, I could do, I could knock this. I'm God. I can knock this out and I don't need seven days. I just need one. I'll just do it all in 24 hours. That's not what he does. He just pauses. He looks back at what he's done, and he says, I'm proud of that. It was good. And then it says, then there was morning and evening. Fourth day rolls around. 
God works, pauses, and then there was, he says, it saw that it was good, and then there was mourning, and even then you get to the, to the end of the whole creation account. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, is what it says, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And it was on the seventh day, God rests. And this is how scripture begins This is how God sets everything in order on earth. He sets it in order with this rhythm of rest. And then later in Exodus, he he makes it required. The law comes around, he makes it required that they they have to rest. And why does he do that? Because he's the manufacturer. He knows exactly what you need to do with your body, with your mind, with your soul. He knows exactly what you need to do. And part of that is this rhythm of rest that needs to be applied in our life. And when you don't have that, your body begins to fail. He knows best. And so for his people, there's this daily rhythm that he establishes. They work. They end the day in work. They pause for a second. They have a meal together. They, they pray together. And then it's morning and evening again. Right? That's what he's done. There's this rhythm that they're supposed to be taking. And then the weekly, there's a Sabbath, a day at the end of the week where they just need to, to take a day off. You know what the Sabbath, what they did on Sabbath? Nothing. Actually, I was reading something today that, uh, not today, I was reading something this week uh, about Sabbath, this book that I was reading, Sabbath. It's, fun, it's funny because on Sabbath, you, there was all kinds of rules, all kinds of things you were not supposed to do on Sabbath. But you can make love on Sabbath. <laughs> Sorry, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if I should bring that up. But I thought some of you guys here that uh, are married uh, might need to hear that. <laughs> that is, anyways, I sh- amen. <laughs> so there's this weekly rhythms, you know. In fact, actually, let me just go back. Actually, God commands it. <laughs> That's what, yeah, so, okay, so I went, I went too far now, but, um, so, so there's these weekly rhythms, and then, then there's these yearly rhythms where there's celebrations and feasts, and so all of this is about God saying, listen, listen, I understand how you are supposed to be. I'm your creator. I have set you in motion. I'm the one that gives you life, and I know what's best for you, and I, and I want you to live in these rhythms of rest. That's what God does for us. God knows how we're meant to live. And if we violate that rhythm, it's not good for us. It may be a surprise to you, but, but like I'm, I'm, I'm like rhythmic, rhythmically challenged. You can ask my family. My kids are here. They know. <laughs> I, like I don't, I go to weddings. I never dance at weddings, okay? Because when, when Pastor Rich gets out on the dance floor, he's like, it's like, it's like he's, there's this invisible spider web, and I'm just like trying to get out of this invisible spider web. That's what it looks like. So I never go out on the dance floor. I just don't. I'm rhythmically challenged. About the only time that I ever get out on the dance floor is when a bunch of other rhythmically challenged people are on the dance floor. Then I can kind of sneak in and hide among them, and I'm okay. Because as long as everybody else is rhythmically challenged, then I feel okay about being ry- rhythmically challenged, you know? I can be out there, and I can do my little moves, and you know, whatever, and, and nobody's... Nobody's noticing, nobody cares, you know, and, and I think that that's true with the dance floor for me, but it's also true sometimes in life. That can be rhythmically challenging life. Like Friday, Josh, my son, we went to his house to install this, this uh, uh, what was it called? <laughs> Vanity. 
And, uh, and so in my ma- as, I'm installing the, as we're installing the vanity, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, my wife is in Louisiana right now. I've got time. I think I'm going to go home and grab my notes, and I'm going to probably go to church and do some studying, you know, and get prepared for Sunday morning. And I'm just thinking all this stuff through. It's Friday. By the way, it's Friday, my day off. And so I'm thinking all this. And it's like this. The Holy Spirit just spoke to me. It's like this little voice that said, okay, Rich, you, you see what's going on here, right? Like, like you are going to go to the church to study and prepare a sermon to tell people that they need to take a day. You, on your day off, are going to go prepare a sermon to tell people to take a day off. And what did I do? What every one of us does. I begin to justify myself. I begin to tell myself, well, it's just, it's just a season that we're in. I'm so busy. My calendar's so full. I just have to, I have to redeem this time. Essentially, what I'm telling myself and I'm telling God and I'm telling you is I'm saying, I'm just going to wait till later to change my oil. Some of you have learned this the hard way as have I. And this pace is not, not sustainable. It's not good for us to live at this pace. Your body's going to give out. And even if emotionally or, or you have, the, you have the, the wherewithal emotionally to go ahead at that pace, your body just says, I'm done. I can't do this. I'm not going to continue doing this. And it gives out. It affects us relationally as well. When you go at a pace, there's people that you love and people that love you, and you're not making time to spend with them. You're not giving time to be with them in a restful moment where, where they have all of you, not just, you know, the, the body. Because <laughs> that's what happens is that we are, my kids, I'm just in body there, but they don't have me. I'm not there. My mind is everywhere else. It affects us relationally. It affects us spiritually. If I'm not resting and taking time to connect with God, I'm much more vulnerable to temptation. I'm much more vulnerable to falling to temptation. If I'm not resting and taking time out with God, it's more difficult for me to tune in and know what God wants from my life. So you can either take time, you can pause, you can rest, you can get your oil change, or it's going to catch up to you, and you're not going to like it. And so I think what what we're hearing from David is that if we live with this rhythm, if we try to live with this rhythm of rest, it resets us physically. It renews us emotionally. It restores us relationally. The second thing I'd say that living with this kind of rhythm of rest also does this. It demonstrates to us that our faith is real. It's academic pretty much. What I'm saying is that when we live with this rhythm of rest, what we're saying is, God, we're trusting you with our life. We believe, God, that you have the power, that you have the strength to actually work on my, I believe, God, that your promises for me are true. Therefore, I'm going to live in this rhythm of rest. That's what we're doing. By living in this rhythm of rest, we are demonstrating that our faith is real. So I know in a sermon like this, it's not hard to get people to agree with me, you know, in theory. I know that. You say, yeah, yeah, Rich, I get it. I know that we need a rest. I get that. Everybody should rest, but I just can't right now. Have you even seen my calendar? There's no way that I can rest. I, I just believe that God would say, look, just do what I'm asking you and watch me work. Do what I'm asking you to do and watch how I will work on your behalf. Watch how I will fulfill my promises to you if you will just 
take on this rhythm of risk. In fact, in Leviticus, God kind of instructs these people in this agricultural society of this idea of rhythm of rest. He even says to them, he takes it like, it seems like he takes it to extremes. They're, they're an agricultural society. That's how, they, that's how they live. That's how they eat. They farm. And God says, listen, every seven years, don't plant anything. Don't harvest anything. And they're like, okay, God, well, you know, we want to be obedient and all, but there's this little thing like we've got to eat. Like how do we eat if we're not planting and harvesting something? And I think God kind of knows that they're going to add. Like if I was the children of Israel back then and God said don't plant anything on the seventh year, I would have been one of those. So well, wait a minute, how are we going to eat? And I think God understood that they were going to ask that question. So he actually answers the question preemptively in Leviticus 25. He says, you may ask, all right, when he tells them don't plant anything, you may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? Like he knows what they're thinking. What all of us are thinking. That I've got to make ends meet. I've got to do this. I have to work hard to make this happen. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. Essentially, God's saying, I'm making a promise to you. If you will live within the rhythms of life that I have for you and the rhythms of rest I have for you, I will take care of you. God says, honor me with what I've asked you to do and watch me take care of you. So David says in, in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He uses the word my shepherd, it's the reason in the English it says my shepherd is because it's only in Hebrew, it's only one word, but it's a compound word for shepherd. Um, it's a personalized version of shepherd because we all know that the Lord is a shepherd, but like if there's trillions and trillions of sheep, then I'm just one of trillions, right? Like maybe, just maybe, every once in a while God glances at me, oh, there's Rich, and, and he moves on. But David understands something about God, that that's not how he relates to us. He, re he relates to us very personally. So the Lord is my shepherd. Like he knows me by name. He knows exactly who I am. He knows everything about you right now. Just so you know, just so you're, because I know what's happening. You're sitting back there saying, yeah, Rich, but fine, rest, whatever. But you just don't know my situation. You don't know what's going on with me. You don't know my calendar. You don't know the, the responsibilities I have, the stuff that I have. To, you don't know anything about me, Rich. I, I, yeah, say all that, but you don't know. God knows. God knows, and he says, I'm your shepherd. And if you will relate to me that way, I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. So I think some of our problem is that we, some of the reason why we have difficulty um, resting and we feel stressed out is because we lack something. We lack something. And somehow if, if the thing that I'm lacking could just be satisfied, if I could just get it, then I could rest. If I could just get everything that I need that satisfies me, that fulfills me, then finally I will be able to rest. We're just lacking something. For some of you, you lack respect. You just want to be given respect, and so you're going to work tirelessly. You're going to work hours upon hours upon hours to get that respect. You're going to work hours upon hours upon hours to get that title, to get that salary, 
to get that corner office. Because if you could just get those things, then you will get respect. The funny thing is that I've, I know people and I've talked to people and I've seen their lives where they have worked and worked and worked and worked to get what they, look, what they wanted and they get to the end of that and they get what they wanted and then they still say, oh yeah, but I lack something else. It's this skewed perspective that we have in terms of our relationship with our shepherd. Maybe you feel like you lack a car, you lack a bigger house, a spouse, or a child. And so you stay awake at night, just agonizing, consumed with the thoughts of what you don't have. It's what keeps you awake at night. It's what keeps you from resting. And there's this little thing out there called social media that just also reminds us of the thing that we're lacking, right? Like if you just, if, if you're sitting here right now, you're totally at peace about, yeah, I don't know about if I lack anything. All you have to do is just go on social media, then you'll be reminded of everything you're lacking, right? In fact, I made a list. Um, <clears throat> uh, like I was the other day looking, and there's somebody that attends our church, and he was in the, on this beautiful beach, and I'm like, I need a beach vacation. That's what I said to myself. As I'm scrolling, I saw pictures of Robert, and I'm like, why is Robert there? Why am I not there? I should be there. I lack a beach vacation. It's getting cold outside. I lack a beach vacation. I lack blemish-free skin. <laughs> of course, they edit their, I know they're Photoshop experts when they put their pictures up there like that, you know, the, all that stuff. That, they're, they're, they're experts with Photoshop, you know, so it's not really, but, but I lack that. I lack nice skin like they have. <laughs> I lack style. I lack muscles. I lack fo- tickets to the football game. Or maybe, maybe it's something a little bit more abstract, like I, I, I see a, a happy couple and I feel like I lack romance. Or I see, I see somebody just big smile on their face, face and they're just, it seems so happy. And I say, there's a little voice that says to me, I lack happiness. We're constantly reminded in this world of the things that we lack. Constantly reminded. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And when I understand that relationship that he's my shepherd and that I'm just sheep, then I lack no thing. I lack Nothing. I lack no thing when I understand that he's my shepherd. Psalm 23, he goes on, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. That word make there, I don't like the word make. Like I don't like anybody to make me to do anything. Like you can ask nicely or you can like, like you're smarter than me and you say, you know, maybe if you just did it this way, this way, then I might respond to that. But if you say, do it this way, then I'm not going to respond very well. But the psalmist here says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So I don't like that word make, but I think in a sense it's true for us, right? There's a book by a guy named Wayne Mueller called Sabbath. He says this, he says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, like if we don't make, if we don't, get on board with this rhythm of rest that God has given us, illness becomes our Sabbath. Some of you know this. Some of you understand this. Illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. There's this condition that sheep have. It's not a very scientific term that they use. It's called sheep bloat. 
I don't, I don't know anything about sheep. So this is all stuff I've read. So maybe these guys are just making it up and I just, I'm gullible and I believe it all. But, but evidently, this is true, that sheep will eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and, and they'll eat so much that they don't have the ability to digest everything they've eaten that they will get this condition called sheep bloat, which is very, very dangerous for them, right? And so what happens is the shepherd makes them lie down so that they stop consuming, so that they actually are able to digest. And I think that this is hard for us to stop consuming. Even, even when we lie at bed at night, we pull out our phones and we're still scrolling social media. We're still consuming, we're still consuming, we're still consuming, we're still consuming, we never stop. And so what I want to say to you is, like you might even be here right now saying, Rich, okay, I get the point. I need a rest. So give me something to do so I can find, finally find rest. <laughs> and let me just say it this way. Rest is not a time to do. Rest is a time to be. That's what rest is. It's actually creating margin for God to come in and just refresh your soul. That's what rest is. It's, not, it's about taking things off your schedule, not adding to your schedule. It's about taking things off your schedule so that God can then speak to you. God can work in you. And he says he makes me lie down in green pastures. Those, that's the way that he does it. You, there's these green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is what God wants to do for, you, for us. He talks about posture. He's lying down. He talks about a location, peaceful and quiet. Jesus actually models this beautifully for us. In Mark chapter 1, you find that Jesus is, um, he comes to this town and the entire town comes out to meet him. The whole town comes out to meet him. And they're going to, you know, and he begins to work. He begins to, 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 to do ministry, healing the sick, you know, working miracles, doing all these different things. In fact, if there was anybody on the face of the earth that had a lot to do in a very short amount of time, that would have been Jesus. If anybody on the face of the earth had the excuse to say, my calendar's full, I can't stop. I just got to keep going. That would have been Jesus. And yet, look what he does in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He went early in the morning. I don't know what time it would be for you, but do you have a solitary place? Do you have a place where you're not doing, where you're not allowing your mind to be overtaken by all the things that then you get done where you're just simply focusing in on God and allowing him to recharge you. Maybe you could do that this week. Maybe you could just take 15 minutes out this week, every day, find a solitary place, find a quiet place, and just read Psalm 23 twice through. And say, God, I give you my day. I want to rest in you. Every week we should have a day of rest as well, a Sabbath. Here's some questions I would think you should ask yourself when it comes to, to your Sabbath. Does it replenish me physically? Does it restore me emotionally? Does it renew me spiritually? Like a day off from work is not necessarily, does it mean Sabbath, right? The question is, is it restoring you? Is it refreshing you? Is it renewing you? Is it doing that for you? If it's doing that for you, then it's a Sabbath, right? And so for me on Fridays, it's getting on my motorcycle and and putting my earbuds in and listening to Maverick, Maverick City for an hour or two. And man, by the time I get back, I am just renewed. I, I feel great. My body doesn't because I'm, 
Yeah, I'm just not, you know, it's, it's just harder these days, okay? I'm just a little, getting a little older, and riding a motorcycle is just a little bouncy, and my back hurts a little bit. And so then I finished my renewal by just going lying down on my bed and stretching out that back, you know? Or working in my garage, doing some woodwork in my garage is very satisfying, very refreshing for me. And so Jesus says, <clears throat> are you tired? Are you worn out? Musicians are coming, I think. There they are. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Do any of you identify with that, being tired? Are you worn out in any way? Are you just working too much? Or maybe it's not work. It doesn't have to be physical work. It could be that you're just, your mind is constantly racing. You just can't stop thinking about all the issues in your life, all the trouble in your life, all the challenges. Or maybe it's your mind is overcome with fear, constantly overcome with fear, constantly overcome with fear, constantly overcome with fear, thinking about your kids, thinking about your parents, thinking about everything in the world. So Jesus asks you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me, he says. Get away with me and you will recover your life. Do you want to recover your life? How many of you want to recover your life? I know I do. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He goes on. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how Jesus rests. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. And so what I'm talking about today is not about adding to your list. I'm not telling you one more spiritual activity you need to do to make yourself better. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I might be talking to you, for some of you especially, there are things that need to come off your list. There are some, you need to prioritize your life and say, okay, this is number one. This is down here on number 101. And I'm going to knock off my list 50 through 101. I don't need to do all that. I mean, it needs to be done at some point, but I just can't do that. and create margin for God to step into your life and begin to teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And so if you're here and you would say, yes, Rich, I'm tired. Maybe what you can do right now is just stand up where you are and say, I'm tired, I'm, wor I'm worn out. Go ahead, you can stand up. I'm standing already, by the way. It's okay. Listen, we are in a world right now that's all about fast pace. It's all about keeping up. And I mean, we understand that, but then the bad part about it is that somebody always seems to do it faster, and so then we're keeping up with somebody who's doing it even faster. And we just keep adding and adding and adding to our life. And frankly, we're just worn out. We're just tired. So what I'm going to do, Pastor Chris is going to just lead us in a song, in a quick song here. And what I want, to, want you to do is a collective. This is a body of, as a body of Christ, we're saying, God, we want your rhythms of life in our life. We want to live according to that rhythm of rest that you give us. And I'm talking to myself as well. I'm preaching this sermon to myself. And so if that's you, if you're saying, yeah, I want that, I'm, you've stood up, you've declared it by standing up, why don't we just do something as we close out the service? Why don't we all just come up to the front? Hey, listen, if you're afraid of that, you don't have to do that, but I'm encourage you. Let's just all come up to the front and let's spend a few minutes here just worshiping God and saying, God, we give you our life. I want to read Psalm 23 again. And as I'm reading, I'm just going to ask you to come on up to the front. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I lack nothing. So as you're confessing that, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And what does he do? He refreshes my soul. Let's worship.